but I'm telling you, you want to be the best kept secret. They go, hey, you're working on this guy. And I go, his name's Heinz Ward. And I would go, okay. They go, and the son of the boss, this other guy goes, Ryan, do you know who that is? I go, I don't have a fucking clue, man. I think I went to him like, I don't know who this guy is. What He goes, he's a Super Bowl MVP, I think it was, or something major yeah. this year. And I go, like okay. a pro bowler, wide receiver yeah. for, the, for the Steelers. And yeah. to be clear, I was only working on him because my boss was at, like, my mentor's out of town. It wasn't like... He's like, I need the master. Is like, no, the master's out. Now you got, now you got the second team. You got the hunchback in the corner uh-huh. going. Hey, I'm just, kitty. and I'm just trying not to fuck up. <laughs> I really, I'm not some like self-made person. I had so many good people help me out, um, because I think you just got to show people you got a few things: good heart, good intentions, and and hard work. Oh. <laughs> What's going on, guys? My name is Ryan Snod. It rhymes with odd, and you're listening or watching the Rhymes with Odd podcast. Today, we are welcomed by my neighbor and friend, Ryan Esdor. What's going on, man? Not much. What's happening? Very cool. So not are we, we're not just going to talk about everybody's lawns and the neighborhood like weird stuff. Listen, I guess I got some real bones to pick with the H. Was that H S I H H O A? Right. I'm just those, gonna have one. Those damn kids like <laughs> leaving their tricycles in the street. No, we're not going to talk about that today. We're talking about business marketing, a bunch of stuff like that. So Ryan is a sports therapist. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're basically like a massage therapist that specializes with athletes, yep. right? So tell the folks a little bit about who you are and what you do. Sure. So my name is Ryan Azdor. I own a shop. I like to call it studio shop. I just call it shop uh, called Superhuman Lab. It is. It's just me working on on injured people. Uh, helping them troubleshoot their their injuries or performance related issues. So it's you know it's funny. I'm not even a big sports fan. Never have been. I watch it if I have somebody who's in it. But sports is not my passion. Uh, just working with people who are really obsessives. Like for me myself, I'm an obsessive personality. So one of those things, like you know, my early 20s, I thought I need to do a bunch of meditation, yoga, and fix it. And I realized. My obsession is, is it is my strength if I can channel in the right direction. So just working with other obsessives, that's really what I like to do. So it's super awesome. Yeah. yeah. And I'm really excited about this conversation because we're so for those that are listening, not watching, we are also another round of of bourbon in, of bourbon in it. We're doing old fashions. Old fash. With the uh, orange peel. And our bourbon of choice today is four roses, not yep. not bullet. So well, now to to be transparent we started with the little bullet <laughs> ran out and now we're on four roses which i'm excited about because i don't get a chance to drink a lot of four roses i was saying my father-in-law is a big bourbon guy so he's shown off a few things to me but four roses is one that's not in his cabinet okay so i'm excited that's why i'm gonna i'm gonna finish this completely before i tap back into that so i can really get a sense of it love it yeah so yesterday I guess this had been a week ago for those listening, but we had Dylan Mankey on the show and we started with a full bottle of that bullet bourbon and there was maybe a sip <laughs> left when we started today. So you can say the interview went probably two hours after we stopped recording and we just kept talking and kept drinking. So it was a fun time. So. Are, you, are you saying there's a chance one of our wives is going to have to grab us? Yes. I, I mean, I I cannot neither confirm or deny that both of our wives called us and were like, when are you guys coming home? Like, we're just like, we're still recording a podcast. So this is just a front for my alcohol addiction. That's all this is. So, um, but no, really excited. I think, um, there's so much stuff about your story too. That's fun. Um, and we'll dig into it in a second, but I mean, you've worked with like the top tier professional athletes from like, you know, Dwight Howard team USA for the track and field, like so much stuff that I think Mm -hmm. is going to be really fun to kind of dig into because you're just a guy from small town, Iowa. So it's just kind of cool to see people from a small town going and doing these things and kind of, you can really just build your career 
from anything. So I think it'd be a really good time to um, just d- dive in. Like where, yeah. where would you say your story started when you started thinking about becoming a massage therapist and specializing in athletes? Let's, let's dive into the origin story here. Love it here. <laughs> so the, you know, in short, I was really bad at high school. Um, and it's important to, to kind of preface it there because I didn't go to a four-year college. In fact, it wasn't even on my radar, nor did it even feel like an actual option. You know, so, you know, I was, I was an art kid growing up, really into punk rock music. What kind of bands were you listening to? Rancid. Okay. No effects. Um, were you was, playing like Tony Hawk Skater 1 back oh, when? Oh, dude. <laughs> Come on. I had a mohawk at one point. Oh. I was like, I was definitely that kind of like, my son's like, Dad, were you emo? I'm like, I was punk rock. He's sure. like, yeah, you're emo. Sure. So, but long, but really I just, I wasn't thriving in school. And so eventually I met a girl who I, who I now married. That's probably the, what really put my, my wheels on the right track going, Hey, she's smart. She has her shit together. Okay. You can guess, okay. go for it. Yeah. She has her shit together. And I, if I want to hang out with her, I'm going to have to do something. So I really started pulling it together. But then again, college seemed like a very far option because I really did muck around quite a bit and also didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, cause were you, how old were you at this time? And you weren't in college were you, you were just college age. I was, well, I was, I, I did like blue collar jobs. You know, I, I've, I've had a job since I was 12 years old. I grew up in a, a restaurant industry with my, my parents were heavily involved in restaurants. So I grew up very fast in the back of a kitchen, which me and my brother did. And I, I loved it. Like people would be like, I've worked since I was 12. No, it was awesome. I mean, just that getting a, the exposure to very mature things at a young age has taught me a, a lot about people because, it, and again, it taught me a lot about people because a lot of times, I mean, you want, when you see a waitress in back counting money to really buy, you know, basic supplies and, you know, they're 19 with, with a kid, you're like, dang, you better tip good if food's good. Sure, <laughs> sure. Or if service is decent, give them a tip. But, um, I wasn't going to say, so uh, I lost my train of thought. So we were, you were college age, you were dating your wife and you were trying to like figure out what you're going to do with your life. So, and then uh, I just went up to Iowa city to, to party. I I had a friend up there. And so we went up to Iowa city to party and my buddy was working with, as a strength and conditioning coach, as he was like in a, an internship for the university of Iowa, the football team. And it just like, it hit me like a bolt. Like that's, that's not it. But I know what I want to do. Mm-hmm. I have to work with my hands. Um, and I don't know what that means, but I know I want to work with my hands and I know I want to work with athletes because I felt there was something about this. Again, goes back to like this obsession that people were having of of just the day to day, you know, hard work. And I, I don't, it just kind of hit me. So I said, okay, I got to figure this out. So you look, it's like, okay, you can become an athletic trainer, a chiropractor, or a physical therapist. And my mom was actually like, Ryan, what about – my mom didn't cite that, but in your head, <laughs> when, you're, when you're 19, it's like, Ryan, what about a massage therapist? And I was like, no way in hell. I'm just imagining myself. Imagine like a 40-year-old. And I'm 38 now, so now I can really imagine it. Mm-hmm. Imagine a 40-year-old massage therapist. And I'm like, is that not a creep job? Like it just sounds like a dead end. But I met a guy named Brian Glotzbach. He was traveling to Iowa to teach a course – and the owner of this massage school, my mom goes, just go meet this massage school place. I said, okay, I'll go meet them. And they go, hey, you should come next week. This Brian Glossbox teaching a class. Check it out. And at this point, I'm working at a motorcycle dealer, a Harley motorcycle dealership. And I said, okay, I'll check it out. And instantly I was like, whatever he's doing, I want to do that. He, 
He was living in Atlanta. He's from Chicago. You know, he had a first career as, a, as an engineer doing skyscraper stuff. At 37, he's like, I'm going to work with athletes. And he went this route. And when I met him, he had a contract with every single Atlanta team. And so I'm thinking, like, he was very in with the baseball, uh, hockey at the time when they had a hockey team, basketball and football. And on staff for, I think, I think damn near all of them, maybe not hockey, but I think he was on staff for sure for the Hawks and for the the baseball, the the Braves. And so I said, I, I'm sorry, Hawks. And no, I'm sorry. And the, and the Falcons, I think he had Falcons, Hawks, and possibly even Braves, which for one person or one company is like insane when you think about the population of Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And so I knew, I'm like, whatever he's doing, I want to do it. So I said, hey, I'm moving to Atlanta. I'm going to study with you. And he's like, absolutely not. You know, and he, I go, he goes, I've done this before. He goes, no disrespect, basically, but like, I've been burnt. And I was like, oh, this is happening. <laughs> I'm co- like, I am coming. And I was really, really persistent. And I think this goes back to a lot of my stories. I really, I'm not some like self-made person. I had so many good people help me out um, because I think you just got to show people you got a few things, good heart, good intentions and and hard work. Um, and being from Iowa, that's pretty easy. Like I've, I've worked in the cornfields and did all that shit. So it's like having to work hard was not the hard part. But I went down there and he's like, listen, I'm not going to, I'm not going to give you money or anything. He's like, I'll teach you. And so he kind of set me up with a job with his friend, and I worked there, and I would go to his house, bang on his door, give him a little – that's my ASMR piece. (laughs) Wonderful. Yeah, thank you. And and he would just teach me stuff. And it it was – it really took, as far as my base knowledge, it took – you know, in four years I was in Atlanta, it really gave me at least 10 to 15 years of growth. I mean, mentorship was so massive. He wasn't the only one. I had some really good people. But and that's why, like, even now I'm I'm really passionate about mentoring therapists because it happened for me. And mm-hmm. honestly, he made very, very, if any, he made he's probably made less than two hundred dollars off me, maybe three, definitely under five in his life. So the amount of like pay it forward I feel like I owe from that is is pretty massive. That's so cool. Cause I, I mean, you look at like traditional education, right? Mm-hmm. You could have went chiropractor school, gotten out in eight years, PT school, which is basically becoming a doctor. Right. Um, but you saw this kind of the pathless traveled kind of the, I always see like there's these two freeways and you're like, which one do I get on with my car? And then there's like some guy that's like, come with me through the woods on this gravel path. That's overgrown with trees. (laughs) There's like, you'll get to the same place. Like walk me through the decision to do that because a lot of people think, Oh, there's, there's riches on the other side of becoming a PT or chiropractor to make much money. Did you, when you talked to Brian, did he like, disclose with you like the success he had had just being a massage therapist or was it more of like a, I see the level of clients he's working with and I just want to be like that? Um, this is a good question because initially when I made the decision, it was also very financially motivated. I didn't, I didn't have money. Mm-hmm. So like to be putting myself in 80 to a hundred thousand dollars of debt, it's good. It just, to me, it was like against my religion. Like I just, I don't have the money. Why would I spend the money? Again, going back to being raised by my grandparents or, you know, they're farm people. And, you know, it's one of those things like I've seen, you know, you've seen when a farmer buys everything on credit and then, and then it hits and then they're, and then you're, you're really on the downside of it. I also, I have a, a grandpa who reuses tinfoil. And he's high on, he's probably high on the financial horse a little bit more than most because he's just very frugal and works hard. So that probably is kind of in the back of my mind a bit. But one thing Brian told me is, Ryan, you will, if you're a massage therapist, because he's like, let's make no bones about it, call yourself whatever you want. You are a massage therapist. 
and you are the lowest on the totem pole. If you can handle that from an ego point, you can help a lot of people. And I thought, hell yeah. And so that's the real real thing I tell people is like you have to have a, a temperament or an e- uh, ability to, to buffer that because you're going to run into people who are like you're going to run into people who – whether it's through intention or not, they just are kind of mean about it. <laughs> right. You know, I've had PTs be kind of like kind of mean. Um, you know, they kind of look down on you a little bit. You just have to, you know, have a mentality that that you can buffer that. Sure. So you get to Atlanta. He lets you – like you knock on the door. He answered at mm-hmm. some point. Maybe you slept out in your car a couple of nights. You're yeah. like, hey, man, can I like – Oh, I harassed him. <laughs> <laughs> He's filing a restraining order. You're like, I'm just here to intern for free. Um so he takes you under his wing. How mm-hmm. how was that ride, and what was that experience like? Uh, kind of tapping into that community. Uh, it was again going back to like any professional athlete I've ever worked on. It really goes into the amount of people who've helped me out along the way. Mm-hmm. I mean, truly, that's where again when they say don't bite the hand that feeds you, feeds you, or you know the what's that book, uh, the laws of power, don't outshine the master. All those things I think are very important because I would say I built my career early on, especially. Off, like within the first year or so, I was working on professional athletes. I'm maybe a year, year and a half out of school. And one of my things I would do is I had no clients at this office. So me and him didn't work at the same office. He sent me out with his friend and I worked at his office. So I get in there, I have no clients. So all these massage therapists are there. It's a chiropractic massage uh, therapist kind of thing. And they have like all cool stuff like hyperbaric chambers, a lot of pro athletes come through, but I had no clients. And so what I would do is, when I wasn't working, which was I pretty much wasn't, because I when I went down there, I, I sold everything I had. I sold my motorcycle. I paid, I paid off all my debt, and I just took my car, blow up mattress, got this like kind of I wouldn't say shitty, but it was it was uh, it was very different than where I was in the Iowa uh, apartment, and so I was pretty. I didn't have much money, but when I was uh, at the office, I would help out the front desk girl. I would just like help her file stuff because she was like so behind everything mm-hmm. and not behind, but she just had she's busy job. So I would help her. And so eventually, and she's this real Southern girl and she'd be like, athletes would check out. She's also kind of cute too. So do not uh, make sure the wife doesn't stuff her. <laughs> right, we'll cut that but she, no, she was a very cute Southern girl and the athletes loved her. Mm-hmm. And so when she come through, she'd be like, hey, now have you seen Ryan? Oh, he, no. And they'd be like, no, I don't know. He's the best. Oh, he's the best. You got to try him sometime. And so they just saw like, and then that kind of helped me a little bit. So very quickly, some of the athletes started like really navigating to me. And then the bosses, you know, I wasn't there long, but I think they also realized like, I'm not going to make, I'm going to make them look good, not bad. And I'm going to be a fun hang. Mm-hmm. You know, so they probably looked at me going, let's bring Ryan on the road to travel. He works hard. He's not trying to, you know, he doesn't have some massive ego trying to I'm very temperament. Hey, of course you need help, you know, be helpful to him. And so they took me on the road with them pretty early. So then I got to do the real travel stuff. So I was kind of like just running the laser at first. So my mentor is doing the therapy, chiropractors doing their job, and I was just running this like laser thing. And then eventually more guys would come in. They go, hey, Ryan, why don't you put the laser down and help me out? And I would eventually get to where like I got to be like B team. And then I got to go with another guy. And we we just traveled around and went to, oh, man, Cincinnati, Washington, D.C., uh, I wouldn't even do down and trip backs to one of the Steelers running back. I would just go down to his house, fly out, and fly back the same day. Mm-hmm. So that was really cool. And the big thing was I had to be in Atlanta for these opportunities because a lot of the guys live there in the off season. Oh, sure. Well, there's a big population of like 
I mean, there, like you said, there's four or five sports teams there, but also just like a lot of people live there. So a lot mm-hmm. of people probably have the second homes there or whatnot, too. Massive. And it's, it is one of those cities because a lot of the – I mean, when you think about the football talent of the SEC, a lot of these guys are from the South. Well, if you're from the South – and you, you know, kind of want to be near home, Atlanta's a great place because the airport, you're always going to be able to get a, a ride home from the airport if you live in, like, Alabama or North Carolina, South Carolina, or you're a two-and-a-half-hour, three-and-a-half-hour drive from all those spots. So it's just a perfect center point. I loved it. It was great. That's but then great. once we had kids, it was like, okay, there was a time where it was time to come back home. Sure. So at that time, was your girlfriend now wife, was she with you that whole time? Did she move out to Atlanta with you or was she staying back here while you kind of went off and started this whole venture? She finished up. She, we were one year apart because she was at Drake finishing up her her degree. And then once she did, she moved down there to Atlanta. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. So walk me through the process of like when you got to the the first, what was like your first big client you worked with or had to fly out to? And you're like walking in like a pro athlete's house, like, yeah. oh shit, like I got my little bag. And like, I- <laughs> well, you know, what's funny. The interesting thing is that again, like I I don't know these guys. I'm not a sports fan. So I remember one guy, and I can say his name because they took pictures with him. So other like last times I'll be uh, – unless an athlete takes a picture with us and it's kind of out there, I really try not to say people's names because especially in the injury zone because there's people I've worked on that I don't say because they're going through an injury and they don't want people to know about their injury. Sure. This that was, makes a lot of sense actually. There was a lot of, a lot of great messaging I got. Again, mentorship helped because they would say, Ryan, I know – you're a young guy, and it'd be really cool if these guys kind of co-signed you, basically. But I'm telling you, you want to be the best-kept secret. And so there's times where, again, you know, I just uh, – going back to it anyways, uh, but Heinz Ward was a guy who – they go, hey, you're working on this guy. And I go, his name's Heinz Ward. And I would go, okay. They go, and the son of the boss, this other guy, goes, Ryan, do you know who that is? I go, I don't have a fucking clue, man. I think I went to him like, I don't know who this guy is. What I, He goes – He's a Super Bowl MVP, I think it was, or something major yeah. this year. And I go, like okay. a pro bowler, wide receiver yeah. for the for the Steelers. And yeah. to be clear, I was only working on him because my boss was at, like, my mentor was out of town. It wasn't like, he's like, I need the master. It's like, no, the master's out. Now you got now you got the second team. You got the hunchback in the corner uh-huh. going, hey, I'm just kitty. And I'm just trying not to fuck up. <laughs> I remember we'd be at airports, and you put so much pressure on yourself, and I would just, and you would, you'd fly out game day. So you'd be there the night before and then the day of, like sometimes they even come through right before they hit the game, which was like really cool because there's be a moment where you can see some of these guys hits this like mental switch where you kind of read the room like, okay, like it's not dabbing up and like, and like the, it's not the same chatter and fun. It's like a lot of like silence. They're listening to their own music and they're kind of like getting a little ready. That was pretty dope. Like to watch people make this mental switch of like, now I'm in a different mode. That was pretty dope. That's really fun. Yeah. yeah. And to see an athlete, I mean, even just like my high school times were like that, where I might have family, like you said, try to come through and talk to you like 20 minutes before kickoff. It's like, get the hell away from me. Like, yeah. I'm in like killer mode right now. Like, you don't like understand because people are just like, oh, it's like a fun game. It's like, you don't understand. Yeah. It's been like sitting in a dark room for an hour, just like thinking about mm-hmm. what you're going to do. And so I can only imagine like a pro level of that. Well, and you just go, and that's, again, I just followed the lead. I just, I was lucky enough that I, I knew when to shut up, I think, to where I would just kind of follow the lead of the of the guys who are, I mean, these guys are 50, 60 years old, late 50s. So they've been doing this for a while. And when I could tell they were starting to kind of not talk and just work, because sometimes when I work on people, it's, we talk a lot. I'm asking questions, I'm getting feedback. And you could tell this is a time not for that. And that was kind of, it was pretty cool to see those switches. And even in my business, 
I think it's also sometimes having like these alter egos or knowing when like you need to flip the switch and like be in this professional mode. And I don't mean professionals like stuffy business, but like it is go time. You know, you got to you got to have that those moments a little bit. And I think that's kind of like it kind of rubbed off on me a little bit watching that. Sure. Well, I could see you completely squander your opportunity by doing what you said that your mentor said not to do, which is like, mm-hmm. hey, look, guys, I'm working on Heinz Ward, like uh, yeah. book me today, whatever. Like, I'm sure if they saw that the athletes being that person that saw it, they'd be like, dude, I, like now ESPN's doing a report on me about having a knee injury. And mm-hmm. I was like not even being reported on. And now yeah. like. I might not get re-signed, but like, it's like that could just the, the like collateral damage of that could be just catastrophic for some people. And I don't think to the, and the things that rub off on me with that, I don't think to this day, because I've had a few mentors who have different beliefs in this. And I don't think either one's wrong. In fact, the ones that are a little better at marketing, sometimes it helps. But the guy who brought me in again, because he's a massage therapist and I am too, I just follow his lead a lot more. And I don't think, I don't think I've ever asked for an autograph or a picture ever. I don't. I really don't think I can think of a single time where I've ever done that. Now, sometimes you're out and about and they take a picture, or somebody else goes, "Oh, get in and then take a picture." Then it's like it's awesome. Then now it's like now I'm definitely gonna use that. Sure, <laughs> sure. Well, yeah, it's like you don't want to. That's got to be the least professional thing ever. Is someone's trying to get body work done, yeah. and you're like, "Man, I just got to get my leg working better." Blah blah. And you're like, "Hey, man, can you sign this football for my daughter or something?" It's like. Uh, I guess. And then now they're yeah. just like in a weird spot where they're just like trying to get work done. You know, that's gotta be. Yeah. I, I just, that's why I keep going back to be the best kept secret. But then when I think about that, it's also like the, on the flip side of it, it's now that I'm back in Iowa and I still do like to do travel work. I still like to work with pro athletes. These guys don't know who I am. I've been at Atlanta for, you know, 12 years. I'm 38. You know, I left when my son was, shoot six months old, he's 13. So uh, if I want to continue to do that work, I do need some omnipresence. I need people outside of Iowa to know who I am to continue to do this on any scale. Mm-hmm. You know, it's cool to work. I, and again, like I, it doesn't really matter who's on the table. It's fun to do the work. But it, I've really wrestled with this a lot the last few years. And if I'm just being honest, I do like to work on professional athletes. I like a little more pressure. I like a little more intensity. It's just how I'm wired. I like to drive things to where, how far can we push this? You know, it's, and also like you go into a place and, you know, I think there's a trust factor too, you know, when everybody's going out there trying to figure out what's wrong with this person and you know, and then you don't say it. I think that's just like, I don't know. I, I I like stuff like that. I don't know if it makes me feel like John Wick or something. I don't know. Sure, sure. Well, it's like, I mean, it's gotta be kind of a cool feeling. Like, I'm getting on a plane. I'm going to this guy's house. Like I have a sole purpose of like, I'm going to work. Like this is is like a cool kind of moment of importance for you. And like, you're like, this is my sole purpose is to like fix this person's ailment. Well, you just made me think of something that I haven't thought of. It is. I, I do like being on a mono mission. You know, when I'm back in Iowa, I've got three, four or five clients in a day. I have to like manage and I have to be like, oh shit, did I text them back? Did I, you know, there's, it's just, it's kind of a lot of moving parts mm-hmm. and I'm thankful for it. It's how I make my living, but it is nice to be on a mono mission going, okay, is this a hip, an ankle, a neck? And then just diving in deep to research, reaching out to people I know going, hey man, what, what do you know about this injury and this injury? And just really obsessing again, like I love obsessive things and you get to obsess over a thing. Sure. You know, I tell people that like when people pay me a day rate, you're paying for your your 
your problem to be my most urgent problem, Mm -hmm. right? You're paying for me to make your problem my problem or make your urgency my emergency, as you would say. You know, that's that's what they're really paying for. And I do like kind of biting in on something like that. Sure. That's super cool. Yeah. And I think just the the like like you said, digging into the problem, trying to figure out, like you said, making it that's my sole yeah. purpose and sole focus, yeah. which is really cool. I always tell people like I'm a I'm a maniac on a mono, I'm a maniac on a mono mission. And I like when people are on that same mission. Like it's just you just kind of click with them like we're both in this. It's just as like you're in that groove. Sure, sure. Oh, I love it. That's great. Part of me is um, like, oh, so pumped. Yeah, I'm getting like, fired up. Like, it really so, does. It fires me up. Iron the tiger. Like, we're going, <laughs> going wild. Um, so I know you mentioned, like, you've worked with a bunch of big names. We, we've worked together outside of this mm-hmm. podcast. So, like, I know some of them. So I'm just going to mm-hmm. start spouting them off. But are there at least, like, teams or, like, other people besides Heinz Ward that you have mentioned that you've worked with just so people can get understanding? Because it's not just one. It wasn't a one-off thing. It was, like, you've worked with other types of athletes that are, like, yeah. the top of their game, you know? Yeah, people are always like, who's the biggest name you worked with? And I always say the biggest name that has shared it on his social like his social media, so I can share it, was uh, I did uh, in 2015, we did work with Dwight Howard for his uh, preseason. And so we went to China and Dubai and met some great trainers. And again, that was that was made through my connection in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. I'm, I lived in Iowa at the time. They said, hey, Ryan, we got a little job for you. You're going to fly to Vegas real quick. A little job. In and out. <laughs> in and out. And I said, okay. Uh, let's do it. And then I was getting ready to leave. I said, hey, appreciate you. Best of luck. And then one of his people reached out and said, hey, I think he wants you to stay with, stay on for a little bit in this preseason. So I just went back forth to use. And actually, we ended up, we actually ended up, because I, I, I knew this was a job. I was like, you got to, again, like be a professional. So I didn't drink. Like, it's, this is Vegas. I've never been to Vegas. Um, I didn't have a single sip of alcohol until the job was done. I'm at the airport. Saw Heineken, drinking a Heineken, feeling good about it. And then it's a beautiful day. The plane's going down. And then they, they ended up pulling up because of bad weather. Oof. And so. And had I, that happen. That's like the scariest feeling. Well, I wasn't here. on this plane, thank Christ. Okay. Because I'm terrified of flying, by the way. Sure. I have a major fear of flying. I've made scenes on an airplane. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. Um, You're gonna be like, uh, what's it, Ben Stiller in that in that comedy where he's like, I want to put my overhead luggage there, up here. There's my my tr- the guy I traveled with. Shout out uh, Dr. Zeller, uh, and my wife, and also my wife. They both have said, "Hey, I'm not scared of flying, but you're making me very uncomfortable right now." Because I'm just like, "Do you feel that?" Um, <laughs> but they pulled up, and, and there, it was it was kind of the reference to the stories because he said, "Hey, we're we're leaving for Dubai in like very very soon," mm-hmm. and so. I had to get back to Iowa to get my visa, my uh, my uh, passport, and so long story short, I had to fly to Minneapolis, drive at like two in the morning to Iowa, and then got to Iowa, kissed my kids, maybe slept for an hour, and flew to Houston, and then the next day you know, I passed out in a hotel room. The next day we went to Dubai and did all that. So it was it was a really it definitely has given me a lot of cool opportunities. Um, like stuff like that in the career. But that's probably the one that I think people are like, holy shit. Because, you know, when you somebody like a, a big name posts, you know, they see a picture of you on their social media. All my friends from I were like, what are you doing? <laughs> but uh, those were cool too. And there's a lot – there's so many guys that I even keep in touch with now and they're retired and it's just uh, – it's pretty cool. Sure, sure. Well, and you've said like other – like in terms of like teams, you've mentioned like um, USA track and field, like uh, Atlanta – or not, obviously Atlanta teams, but also like yeah. Baltimore Ravens, like types of people like that. 
Um, what's since, yeah, we Cincinnati, we did. We actually did the facility, which you don't. We usually work for the players, not the team. It's a pain. So let me. I'll give you some somebody who's in this industry. I'll give you some game. If uh, you want to do this work, you want to work for the player, not the team. Uh, there's too much red tape. Mm-hmm. The amount of times, even at a college level, where like I've had done team stuff, I felt like all these pa- all this paperwork and background checks and you know like non disclosures and all this stuff versus you fly in for a guy and you try to make it work. Like, Hey, you bring your friends in. and again, you gotta be a little business savvy. Like sometimes I, that's one thing I work on. It's like, Hey, if you find me out, I can sweeten this deal up, but like connect with more, me with more people and we'll, we'll make it cheaper in some facet. Mm-hmm. Um, or if you're already in the house, like, Hey, have your other yeah, teammates come yeah. and we'll like just do a I'm bunch ter- of them. No, I'm terrible at that. Mm-hmm. Like asking for like, Hey man, like bring them on. Mm-hmm. I'll take care of you guys. Um, that's one thing I really need to work on. Like, hey, write yep, that down. Yep. Well, and I think because I, I mean, I've been watching the quarterbacks series on Netflix. It's great. Amazing, like kind of insight on it's yeah. Kirk Cousins, Patrick mm-hmm. Mahomes, and um, the guy from Atlanta. Um, uh, yeah, the uh, Hawaiian kid. Yep. Um, yeah, yeah, out. I was gonna. It'll click in my head in a second. But Kirk, it was interesting. Like he has a husband and wife. Yeah. Uh, PT crew that comes in. They just knock it out. They just mm-hmm. help him every time, and it's like. Now he's gotten them on a literal national stage. There's like millions of people that have watched that series or refilling ASMR. Love it. Um, but I think I think that's interesting just because you don't think about it. you think those people working for the team, working yeah. for a hospital, were owning their own clinic, like a stationary place, not a I come to your home on Sunday or Monday mornings and work out all the kinks from Sunday from yep. game day. It's like it's a very like hands obviously very hands on, but very niche service that you mm-hmm. just, I provide this, I come to you and I do the body work and it's like ultimate convenience. Obviously you'd want to charge higher than having them come to you. Like I'm flying to you doing that type of thing. So. Well, and that's, that's the big thing is they're paying for convenience. So it, it is just like, I assume what it'd be like to be in a movie set. It's hurry up and wait, mm-hmm. you know? And, and, and by the way, when you pay a day rate, there's no complaint to it. It's like, they may, you may be like, Oh man, I'm getting hungry. Should I go out? Like if they, what if they call? I can't sit at a restaurant. So yeah, I kind of got, you got to plan around it and f- feel it out. But when they say it's time, it is on their time. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're, they're paying for convenience above all. Um, yeah, it's, 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 it is a lot of hurry up and wait though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, I've also seen like videos of like personal chefs talking about their, and it's a very similar thing where it's like very much my entire purpose of existence is like feeding this family of mm-hmm. six people, three square meals a day. But it's like, you the grocery shopping the day before, you're there cooking all day, and then once they finish dinner, you're doing dishes and you go home. It's like, well, shit, now I got like two day, two hours of re- of me time, then I got to go to sleep and do it again. It's like when you when you're waiting on people at that kind of level, it's very involved process. It's not just a like you said, oh, I'll come for an hour or two and then go get lunch and come back. Yeah. It's like I am there for you the entire time. Oh, the amount of cities I've been to and I've never seen the city. I mean, truly, you go from an airport hotel. And you stay within approximately that hotel the entire time because they might come. Th- I mean, it depends. I hook it up if they're going. If they come to the hotel room, which I is which is which is what I usually do because mm-hmm. it makes it just a little more locational. And sometimes again, like you're in somebody's home. Some guys want you in their home. Some guys are like, now nah, just come to you somewhere close. But uh, you got to be within approximate location for them. So the amount of times I've just fly into a city and go to a house or a hotel, airport and home. That is what it is. So the the allure of it, the sexiness, wears off extremely quick. Mm-hmm. You know, and then you start missing your family and kids. But you know, at the end of the day, it's 
it's what you do. Sure, you know, sure. You know. Well, and I think it's it's interesting to think about because have you ever had? I mean, you're you're a massage therapist. You're yeah. li- like licensed massage therapist. Yeah. At, the end of, at the end of the day, I'm a licensed massage therapist. So when people are like, "What do you say?" The reason why I say sports therapist because I don't want people to get the interpretation that you're going to come to the office, lay down, and just I'm going to rub boo boos, right? So that's where like when people think of massage, they think of just like kneading, rubbing. I lay stuff. here and you just yeah. rub me for an hour. Yeah. yeah. So I have no shame about being a licensed massage therapist. But when I say massage therapy, whatever uh, like picture they have in their head is often not very identical to what I do. Sure. So if I say sports therapy, they know, okay, it's going to be something of that, which is also why social media helps for me because you can actually see what I do. You yeah. get a vibe of what I exactly do and either you want it or you don't. Sure. You know, I'm not here to sell something to people that they don't want it or need it. You know, either you do or you don't. <laughs> sure. No, and I love that. And I think it's it's interesting because um, have you when you're working with those top tier people like Heinz Ward or whoever, did anyone ever like ask for your certifications or like they're just like, can you help me? Right? Yeah. Can you fix my ailment? Yeah. It's I don't care what school you went to, where your degree's from, if you even have a degree. It's like as long as you can make me feel better and not hurt me further, it's a it's a good situation. Well, and now you get and you get clients too. And this is where like you can rub people the wrong way. And it's not even your it's truly not your intention at all. But like I have clients walk in and be like, Dr. Ryan. And again, I do not claim to be a doctor in any facet. In fact, I resource my friends who are actual medical doctors all the time. Mm -hmm. Hey, man, quick question. You know, buy them some bourbon or something to to bug them. Uh, But yeah, I mean, even now I have a couple guys, Dr. Ryan. And it's just more like, uh, you know, it's just they just kind of feel comfortable and nickname you a little bit. But no, uh, the other thing, too, is like once you prove your, your worth and the results that you create, people don't care who you are. You know, a lot of times my job exists because people have gone and they've done chiropractic, physical therapy, they've done these things and they're still having a problem. Mm -hmm. And so that's, for me, I really have to come at things a different direction. I can't just recite the same thing and expect people to pay me more or to come see me. I have to do something different, right? So again, like being into punk rock as a kid, I'm naturally non-conformative to things. And that's probably why I took this path a little bit, but it's also a great resource if you want to utilize my services, because I'm going to come at this different angle. You know, I'm, I'm pretty, uh, it's non-traditional, but it's also, uh, what's the word I'm looking for when things are, uh, casual, mm-hmm. or I would say, you know, like for a long time, somebody told me, Hey Ryan, you actually, they told, this is a, I was going to do some work at teaching and they said, uh, your cursing is a problem and we don't want to utilize you. And I said, I can understand where you think that. Uh, it just is what it is. And I, I really stuck to my guns on this one. I thought about not, mm-hmm. but I stuck to my guns with it. And long story short, every time I get a teaching thing now, it is a nice little internal fuck you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because when somebody says, hey, and because he also mentioned you, we don't, I don't think you'll be successful so you, if you continue down this route. I find some of the ways you present yourself to be unprofessional. Uh, the way you dress is unprofessional because I wasn't wearing khaki pants and a polo shirt. And I said, I can understand, I can understand why you think that way. Um, but it is, I've made a decision. This mm-hmm. is how I'm going to operate. And so sometimes you have to make those calls to run your own business. And you got to also sleep with those calls too. <laughs> sure. Sure. Well, and it's, it's kind of the, 
I, I mean, not swearing like a sailor left and right, but just being authentic. If you do that normally, just be yourself. Like same thing with this podcast. Like I don't want you to have to try and like censor your thoughts if you're just trying to explain or describe something. Like I'd rather just be yourself. So I think people are coming around to just being authentically themselves. And that, that's that's why they would hire you to come teach is because you have a unique perspective. And if adults can't like just get over the fact you said a cuss word and like just move past it, you know? But, but also if you want to do these things, don't wait for people to like certify and hire you. Do it yourself. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I want to teach, I'll teach my own thing. I'll host it myself. I'll pay for it myself. I'll do it myself and come and come and check it out. I don't need to wait for somebody to ask me to hire me. You know, that again, that's the thing is like when you go a little more rogue down past, you can't wait for people to hire you. You have to create opportunities yourself. Yeah. No, I love that. So you're traveling, doing doing the crazy thing. Your wife and you end up moving back to Iowa. Yep. Tell me, walk me through like the decision to do that and then how you navigated starting Superhuman Lab. Yeah. So when I ended up moving back to Iowa, I thought I've worked on so many professional athletes. I'm thinking I've probably worked on over a hundred by now. I mean, who wouldn't want to work with me? And you realize nobody cares. They care. What can you do for me now today? Not what you did five years ago, two days ago. I don't care who you worked on. Truly it made zero impact to my business. So when I came and came to Iowa, I actually started, uh, I was really into yoga too, because I'm trying to, I'm trying to also realize that soft tissue, hands-on work it's not everything. I need some movement-based tool. So in my search for it, I got really into yoga. So I actually took a little breather when I moved back and I opened a place called Iowa Powered Yoga. Oh, wow. Nice. I didn't yeah. know this. this I, I, I don't tell about it because it's kind of a, it's a, it gets a little embarrassing because I was so broke and I made no money. I basically told people, pay what you want. Don't pay it all. I mean, I wasn't even running a business because I was, I was in my 20s too and it was so fucking dumb. Sure. But where where I, was I it located? Know better. Not far from, you know where I am now? Yeah. Like literally across the way. Okay. Same so location. You, like one studio where you like you like a certified yoga instructor. Yeah, I'm a certified re- yoga, well, yoga teacher. Yeah, oh, man. I've done some <laughs> I've done some wild yoga stuff. Like I was telling somebody the other day, they're they're sharing how they got into something, and you could tell they couldn't tell if it was like too weird. And I go, Hold on. I did some really weird commune style yoga stuff before up in like Catskills, New York. Um, yeah, I've I've done meditation retreats at Buddhist centers and gosh, I've you know I've really dialed into or went in that route. But I realized at some point, I was like, okay, I need to get back to what I do, which is being a sports therapist. Um, so it's kind of funny, too, how you sometimes have to kind of habits or like talent stack. So I love movement, it's a big part of my life. I do jujitsu now. I even incorporate jujitsu into my manual therapy training, right? So all this stuff that I thought were like massive career mistakes of like, you know, when you're not making money, you feel like a massive fuck up, especially when you have kids. You know, there was a long time there where, I mean, I made no money. I mean, we lived off my wife's income forever doing this stuff. And to think, when is it going to freaking turn the corner? And just having, you know, really good friends who are further ahead of me going like, just keep going. Like refine, keep going, refine, keep going. Some people be a little more honest, like you're definitely fucking up. You need to like get your shit together a little bit and like kind of hold a standard to what you're going to do here. So was it, how was that conversation with you and your wife? And then also just other, cause you have other influence, like father-in-law, mother-in-law, like friends, whatever, like what was that like? And when, what was there like a turning point or an aha moment where you're like, I have to get my shit together. I mean, you mentioned that with like, when you first went to Atlanta, you're like, 
okay, I met this girl. Like she kind of expects a little bit more. Like she sounded like that's kind of a driver for you. Yeah. What was was there like an aha moment or a or uh, when people were weighing in on your uh, lack thereof the success? Yeah, it was, was it, like? it was really the only people who gave me any advice is when I asked for it. Really, those were friends of mine who were business owners. Um, so my buddy Brian Kaldenberg. God, we've been friends forever, and he's always he was an entrepreneur when we were like seventeen. You know, he wasn't making fake IDs. Wink. <laughs> <laughs> he, he's, he just he's a very entrepreneurial guy. Like that's I can't say that word entrepreneurial. Uh, sounds that the, is that the bourbon or is that, that sounds, my I can't taste? It's a tough one. I can't spell it. I can say it, but I can't spell um, it. <laughs> so I resourced him a, him a ton in in trying to figure things out. But honestly, if I had, the one turning point, if I had to really think about, it, I read a book called Essentialism. And you just realize how much when you say yes to every opportunity, at some level, opportunities are distractions. And you got to get back to this mono-focused route. Even now, like I still need to go back and refine it and go, hey, how many things am I a little distracted with? I need to get more mono-focused, tighter. And so the whole book about essentialism is that like realizing that things that look like opportunities are actually probably distractions. You need to get focused in. That's probably when it started to kind of turn, especially the last year after COVID. COVID sucked. Anybody who wants to be like, hey, I know COVID was tough. I'm like, listen, uh, I owned a small business during COVID. And I was the amount of like bitter internal conversations I've had about it. I, I don't see a lot. Of, I don't have this. I don't see a lot of silver lining about COVID. Sure. Own a small business. I well, think and your your small business was yeah. literally putting your physical hands on people and being on top of them, next to them, like within a breathing oh. distance of them. So that would be really tough. So yeah. So getting through it once, but again, like it does build resilience. Like you got to at some point, you have to stop bitching and blaming. And there are things like listen, when the government shuts your business down, that is out of your control. But you at that moment need to think about everything that's in your control and go, you can complain and bitch all you want. It still ain't going to make money. And that's where it's like, okay, we got to start to, we got to do something. We got to rebuild. We need to start focusing back on business. Sure. So I, I, I had a little pity party there for a little bit. Sure. Sure. <laughs> no, I, I totally get that. So you're, you're doing the yoga thing. Yep. You have a yoga business that's not successful. Nope, it's not at all. Like, like you said, pay what you want. It sounds like you're running a homeless shelter. It's like put was, some change in the jar. I was donating money to like causes and not making money. Like that's it. <laughs> People think it seems like really nice. Like that's a dumb move. Like you have no profit and you're giving away money that you don't have. I mean, it's the dumbest shit ever. But I was very idealistic in, in, in those days and, and not focusing on profit. You know, if you want to own a business, realize like, you want to run a profitable business, and if you consider yourself a good person, you want to run a profitable business because you can't you can't do philanthropy. Thank you, philanthropy. If you don't have money, mm-hmm. and so that's where it's like we need to really not be unapologetically profit driven, sure, so that we can help people. Well, dude, I, I think that's such a powerful thing because a lot of people I know a lot of people in my life that complain about capitalism all the time. It's like. Blah, blah, blah. It's like, you don't understand. Like, you complain about capitalism, but you also have a job. You work for a large corporation that pays you a nice fat salary and gives you benefits, and you you benefit from it. So it's like, once you understand that if you're a part of it, it's like, don't hate the player, man. Hate the game. Like, you just got to get better at figuring yeah. out how to do it. But also, to your point, if you make more money, yes, that is selfish if you increase your income, but also you decide what you do with that money. You can braces for your kids. You can go on vacation to Maui. You could give it all to your church, whatever you want to do. Like you have complete control of that. So don't mm-hmm. like get mad at people for just 
Well, taking it, taking advantage, you know. And another hard point was I raised my prices pretty dramatically once. I went from uh, first I charged eighty five, and then a hundred, and went from hundred to one hundred forty an hour. And I was really like, oh god. I mean, I was, I was talking to you during this decision because you were like, I've been weighing this for like a couple months. Because it's know, like it you don't want to like up your prices and lose all of your clients. Like, what was that? Not well, and you had this internal dialogue. Does does this make me a bad person? But then when you think about it this way, going okay. Doesn't everybody who has a, a salary job expect a raise? And I haven't given myself a raise in seven, eight years, six years, seven years, eight years, zero raise. Mm-hmm. And we're in a point where the inflation is getting higher. So my my actual gas, my toothpaste, everything goes up in price. And I'm still like, nope, I don't want to do this. It was a hard decision to make. But I, and I remember feeling like I, I the best advice I got was from a friend. I said, hey, man, how do I handle this? He goes, here's what I would do if I was you but do what you want. Um, where are your prices right now online? Because most of my clients book online. It says, let's say it says uh, sports, I'll just say sports massage so people can get the idea. Sports massage, you know, dollar sign 100. You just put sports massage, dollar sign 100, parentheses 140 as of, and then insert date. He goes, just that. I go, oh shit, what about like a newsletter? He goes, Ryan, you're, you're allowed, you're, when you justify it, you have some like guilt complex with it, and you're you're inviting criticism. He goes, like you make a big deal about it. Yeah, send a newsletter, call everyone. Hey, prices are going up, and then like all you have to say, I tell people, if you ever increase your prices, and people ever say anything about, all you have to say is this: Wow, that's pretty expensive. And, and if they kind of go like, Why is it so much? Whatever, but like uh, that's that's what people when people who work with me, that's what they pay. That's what the people who work with me pay. That's it. And you just you just let it be, and people go okay. Like nobody, nobody ever, by the way, nobody ever complained. Now I would say you do drop out a, you will drop out at probably a, it probably is a rule of thirds. You do drop out a third of your clients. But you just increase by a third. That's the problem. So you're working less and you're making the same amount. So it's like, boom. And I would say that was a turning point with actual like, oh, profit. Like not just, um, there's also a book called Profit First. That was a bit, have you read that one? Yeah. There's, it's really complicated. Did I give that to you? But I, I have a whole YouTube video on it. I love that book. I, I implemented so it in my, in my life. It's yeah. so helpful. It, I'll give you guys the gist because you can kind of – it's like counting your macros. You can – yeah, I can find your own way with it. I don't have like the two-bank system like they suggest. But what I did do was uh, have multiple accounts, delegate certain money to it, and then make sure you take out profit first. So then at the end, you can actually pay yourself. If you're not able to pay yourself, then you need to look at your business habits and behaviors. Mm-hmm. Boom, done. That's kind of like the gist of it. Yep. So you can kind of customize it and tweak it a little bit. But having just separate accounts like OPEX, which is operating expenses, having like an OPEX account, boom, done. Like, And I've, I've really kind of like dialed in a, in a little bit, but it does help to go. Na- and that was one of the things like at the end of the month, the amount of work I would have to do to like pay overhead, which is just, it's more than just like utilities and rent. It's like, oh, this month you owe $245. I'm like, for what? They're like, uh, insurance. This month, they're just random, like two, 300 things you get dinged with every freaking month. And so if I didn't change that profit issue or the, that number issue, all I did was actually gave myself like just enough money to profit. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's what it did. Like it was a massive, massive thing. I think Change, making your prices appropriate to your work. And again, I also look at like, I do so much self like education and go to courses and fly out to see people and spend a lot of time in my career and then go, oh, I won't raise my prices. 
I mean, you go to a doctor, they're all just for even like walking in the door, they charge you $300, $230. It's like, yeah, I'm going to. We're going to do something here. Sure, sure. No, it's great because I, so in my business, I've been doing profit first, but I, to your point, I tweaked it a little bit yeah. to mine. So I do percentages. It's like 25% is operating. So I get $100 in the door. I can only spend 25 of that on like running the business. Yep. And like 40% is for owner strokes. So like I have to pay myself 40%, which is really hard for me because you're the opposite of me. Like you love spending money. I'm the opposite. It's like, oh, I, I love can't spend money. I cannot. <laughs> <laughs> do it. And it's like, there's been months where I like, I'll talk to Paige, I'll like a really good month. And there's like way more money in my owner's account where I need to pay it out to myself. And yeah. I'm like, well, I could, I should keep it back. She's like, pay the damn money out. Like that's what the whole structure is for. So I'm like, okay. So it just depends on like how your structure works. But it sounds like for you, that really helped to have like a, a structure that you could lean on. And then just like, I'm just following this, like as if you were a W2 employee, like, okay, we get paid. Every month out of this account, this is how it works, you know. And one thing we're going to start doing, I talked to my wife about this, is I'm going to be stricter with myself because I can get real nutty with, especially like I'm a big food guy. I can spend so much money on food. It's crazy. Is start to really dial in the expenses so you can see. I want that dopamine hit of watching the profit go up. Mm -hmm. And then we're going to treat ourselves. Sure. Like I'm going to go to Kansas City for a weekend and we're going to a nice ass hotel. You know, I'm going to that like $240, $250, $400 hotel. Um, and that's the other weird thing about stuff is like if you don't grow up with certain things, it doesn't enter your psyche. And then you just go, well, why would I ever pay this? Even my father-in-law, he does pretty well for himself. He still is kind of the guy who's like, I would never overpay for a hotel room. Why would I? Versus I kind of think, I think sometimes you need to celebrate your wins because you can take for granted how goddamn hard this is to – to win at this business game, you know? So sometimes you got to give yourself like, Hey, not doing so bad, man. You know what I mean? And treat yourself a little bit. Have, yeah. go, get a, go get a drink, go have a staycation, go get the nice, whatever. It's like, yeah. take advantage, like do it. And like that, that's the power of it too, is like, I'm similar, but not, not quite as frugal as your father-in-law where it's like, Oh, we had the best year ever in business. Like, let's just keep going to Applebee's once a week or whatever. It's like, go get a steak dinner, dude. Like, enjoy it. You know, like you, it's all, you're allowed to enjoy. So that's great. Yeah. Um, I was going to ask as well, like the, when did you open Superhuman Lab compared to so you were in the yoga business? When did you kind of transition out and like get back into yeah. doing what you were doing on the road, but here in Iowa? 2010, I opened the yoga and then I made the switch. It was like 2000. I think 14, between 14 and 16, I went, we got to do something different. And I think it was 2014, opened Superhuman Lab. Here's, okay, here's another kind of story I haven't told people. But it was like, it's so corny to talk about manifestation because it's so crystals and woo-woo. But I do think you need to direct your mind into a direction because I stopped, I was so fearful of not teaching yoga because I didn't want to disappoint somebody. And so I said, hey, guys, I'm doing – I'm getting back into uh, sports travel. It's unpredictable, and therefore I won't be teaching yoga anymore. So I made this proclamation that this is this is obviously on my plate. I had no single athlete on my plate, not a single one. And then literally within a month of me making that statement, then the Dwight thing came through where it actually did happen. And so sometimes I do think you, you have to make these, like, proclamations – of this is what I'm going to do and then start just it, – it, it's it's just kind of like funny how things start to work in that direction. And there are probably mono decisions, micro decisions that you're making subconsciously and not realizing it. Um, 
But yeah, I'd say like 2014, 15 is when I was like, let's really hammer it. And then from there, it's then it starts to go that direction a little bit more. Because at the end of the day, my hand, I mean, what I do is in my hands. You know, even if we're, I'm teaching you a movement, I'm going to be touching you. Like, I'm going to be kind of like, hold your knee here and like there and like feel that. Like, I'm a big teacher of my hands. Like, that's just, it's who I am. And again, that's where I, like, I never thought there'd be a career that would be like that for me. Like, I almost kind of had to manufacture it and make it myself and go, okay, I got to just be in my hands. You know, because I grew up, like, I was, I was a real art kid. Like, I love, I was really into drawing and charcoal and, and hand stuff. So... That's that's pretty cool, but yeah, that's uh, and been doing it since. What's your typical day in the life look like now? Like, mm-hmm. are you seeing one or two clients a day? Like, what's a normal like busier day look like for you? Sure. One of my goals is to not have days that are exactly the same. That's just I don't want the same thing. So, depending on the season, it might be uh, the average day would be. I'll give you this week. This week I go to a lady's house. She's 86 years old. I don't work on geriatric people. I hate even call her geriatric because she's so awesome. I feel like I'm disrespecting her. But I had somebody reach out and go, hey, can you work? Could you, can you do me a favor and work on this lady? And I just hit it off and went from – she came into the lab to where I was like, I'll just go to your house in the way because it's just, just easier. Mm-hmm. But, uh, like, I go to her house on Mondays and Thursdays, <laughs> and then I usually go to the office afterwards and then see – I try to see, you know, three people – Six people would be a busy day, but like three or four is kind of ideal. Um, but yeah, you can get like Fridays, the busy days can get in five and six. And then every now and then I'll have like a little travel thing where like uh, maybe during the basketball season, I go up to Iowa City, work on a couple of basketball players, you know, once every other week, I'll do something like that. Um, but yeah, I try to always not make each day feel like the same day. That's kind of another, I want to have fun. At the end of the day. Sure, sure. I love that. So I think it'd be interesting, too, to learn more about – because you're using your hands all the time. And this is kind of how we first connected because I've known of you because I think we first met in Chicago during Brett's uh, show. I think Uh, it was Columbus. Columbus. Yes, Columbus. Columbus. Yeah, because you were just like there, like, hi. And then – Yeah, I was supporting Ivana. She's a bodybuilder. Her husband's a bodybuilder. And I was supporting her because she – again, like, she's a client who really blew me up to the local bodybuilding scene in Des Moines. And then introduced me to her husband, Brett. And then who he, he's competing at the O this year. He's yeah, going to the Olympia. So freaking awesome. So wild. Yeah. yeah. And so I met you out there. Yeah. yeah. So that's when we first met. I probably should have said that an hour ago when we first started talking. <laughs> but it's interesting because as we we got in, I mean, we're, we worked together on some videos and some yeah. digital products for you. But the, the main conversation was around, one, holy crap, we're neighbors, didn't know that. But number two was like, you're putting your hands in on a lot of people and you can't do that forever. Like you can only right. see so many people. So when you started thinking about the digital side, what did that look like in terms of like trying to monetize online and then and, and grow your social media as well? Yeah. That's a great question. Cause yeah, I do think about not just my hands actually feel great. I have no hand issues. I've been doing this thing for 17 years. I have zero issues in my hands, but at some point I would like to, I told my wife, I go, I would like in five years want to do something else just because I want to live more than one life. You know, if, if like, while this is my thing and I love it, I don't think like, it would be extremely hard for me to put this down because I really do enjoy it. But I have other, th- I have a lot of other interests. I'm very passionate about food. I'm very passionate about, uh, like, I like to create content. I know some people don't. I really enjoy Like, when you and I met up, I like even, like, getting to look at your setup and ask you questions and how you do stuff, I think it's interesting. 
Um, but I also know the value of content. You know, again, when I was in business, I had no fucking money. So I, there's no marketing dollars. So for me, when social media came through going, okay, this is an opportunity that I can, I'm fairly extrovert. So I can get out there and do stuff and hopefully it rakes in something. So really just like free on social media is where I really got into like content building. And again, it is something I do enjoy. I think so many people, I'm 38 in my age range, truly actually do not enjoy it or they don't want to seem like they enjoy it because it makes them feel very TikTok-y. I just straight up enjoy it. Um, I like the idea of refining it. I like the metrics it gives. Looking at a metric going now, how can I take that metric and improve upon it? Mm-hmm. I love that aspect of the measurables of it. Sure. Well, I think it's interesting too, because you look at like your business, it'd be very easy for you to just see clients, word of mouth referral. You keep yourself, the only people you ever engage with are your people you're putting your hands on every day yep. and go home and that's it. But it's like when you've embraced technology, social media, that's how you can get more people. Yeah. And I think that's how you get more of your people rather than, like you said, if you mm-hmm. just want to focus on athletes, you can just put out that as kind of your attractor and see if you can get more yeah. people like that. And there's things going back. I would, I would done differently. Like I'll give you an example. When we started creating content, you know, what I would have done differently. I would have made the content put out for free, not a, not charge a dime because I think there's a lot of attract, a lot of value in attraction and attracting attention and not monetizing just yet. But with that said, I have monetized content and it does help. Like it's nice to get a check or money for monetizing content because sometimes you have to somehow pay for the content. Yep. You know, and that's kind of like in the, the, the interim where I'm at now is like, how much do I want to monetize content right now or do I wait to monetize? And, you know, I've done it both ways. I've done it, create a course, it sells that you and I did together. I've taken that same course and been like, let's try it monthly. 10 bucks a month. Let's see how that goes. And it's kind of funny because like, it's all testing. Like my thought is as long as people feel good when they spend money with me and you get the value, great, then we're going to be okay. And I can, I can kind of play with stuff in different directions. Um, but yeah, I, I, either way, if it's, if you monetize or don't, I think in content creation is massive. And I, I take it for granted sometimes. And then somebody goes, Hey, I found, I didn't find you, but my friend recommended you, but they sent me a video of you. They could see the work I do and they will, that's my guy. And it gives you a lot of shortcuts into people's lives going, you know what you're going to get into. I don't, I can save the preamble and just get after it. So like, like even just for how content has, uh, create opportunities with athletes. Like I even go into it like, yes, I do very like B2B business stuff where I create content for therapists. Cause again, I, I am passionate about helping out people in this career. There's not a lot of great content for us. But also, there's also a secondary effect where athletes have seen it and been like, hey, man, when are you, are you ever coming to Atlanta? Or, hey, uh, when's the next time you're in this town? And you're starting to see opportunities created that wouldn't have been there if you didn't create the content. Sure. I, I love that, though, because like your, your approach to content is similar to like Gary Vee, where it's like, just document what you're doing. Show your expertise and just show off like what you're up to, what you're doing. I think that's a really yeah. powerful thing because a lot of people are like, well, I want to do content, but what do I do? And it's like, well, just record you doing what you do. Like do a voiceover, do a, a side-by-side, do a like before and after. Like just show what you're doing and people will, will like it. Well, let's get let's get into this and and grits. So like let's use one that you and I shot together. I took this video and go – it's, I, I put, He's looking uh, at his phone if you're listening. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I apologize. It's called uh, – so it's a video we did together and I took a snippet of it that is – Maybe it's 28 seconds, which I think is kind of long. Sure. Uh, it's 28 seconds. 
but it's, it's how to move big athletes. Now this, I took that same content that was B2B and go, I want this to be, uh, I don't know what B2C yeah. business consumer. Yep. There you go. Uh, look at you. Look at that. <laughs> B2B's uh, business to business. B2C's you got business it. consumer. Uh, so I just changed the title of it. It's the same video. And then, but if I go to the comment section of it, uh, there's athletes who are tagging other athletes who are professional athletes saying, uh, need this before and after camp, Ryan. Like, sure. How many, how many views does it have? What metrics are on that uh, post? Yep. Let's take a look at the metrics. Cause this is on Instagram, right? Yeah, and this isn't even one of my best ones. This one, I think it's got 30, 30,000.3. If I look at the metrics, 30,000 views, 30,000 views. Holy shit. Uh, 490 likes, 147 saves. I'll look at the saves and the shares. 53 shares, 147 saves, 22 comments. So like the vanity metrics of likes, I'm not that interested in. Views, yes, because it shows me uh, the algorithm is rewarding me. Uh, the saves, because it shows me that people find it valuable. The reshares, because people find it valuable. So the metrics I look at is definitely views because the algorithm is either rewarding me or not. And then, or the platform and then really into the comments because that like comments send like sending it to, to people and then the saves because it tells me people actually give a shit about the content. Sure. Those are the metrics I look at. And this one got 30,000. And that's not even like the other ones I have now are like 56. I got one that's got 17 million, almost 18 million views on it. Dude, that is so crazy because – and this is, the, this is a good parlay into the next topic because you blew up on Instagram in the last six months. So wh where did you start? Probably like January <laughs> – and where are you at now? Because yeah. this is huge value that you just like, you it, just like 50 X to your following or whatever it was. Well, I had, I had a goal and my goal was how, so I had, I think 4,600 ish. Like, I, you know, it's like 46 plus or minus, like you're not at 4,700 yet, mm -hmm. but I couldn't remember if I was higher low in it. But I went, I wonder how it changed my business as a test if I got to 50,000. So my goal was to go six months to 50,000 and it took me under a month. Now, yeah, do you strike gold a little bit? Yes, but also I don't believe it is all luck because I intentionally did it and it rewarded me. Sure. And so the biggest thing I did was <clears throat> realizing that, again, going back to like business, it's not what I want. It's what, it's what they want. It's what the algorithm wants. So if I want to be rewarded by the platform, I have to give them what they want. They want content that is shareable to multiple people. So sometimes I think there's times where people go too niche. And so also I created non-negotiables. Like for me, like me putting hands on people and I'm also married with children. I've seen guys have a lot of success and even women too, where it's, it's a little too sexual for me. Also yeah. we're Midwest dudes. Sure. Or, you know, I, mean, we're, I grew up with like pretty conservative grandparents. Well, dude, I see these videos <laughs> of like chiropractors and it's the girl in the yeah, spandex and he's got his like elbow in her butt crack and he's like, breathe in for me. And you're like, Oh my God, yeah. like, no one's watching for the actual treatment. They're just like trying to see some well, booty. And also these people I work on are, are not, most of the time they're not clients or my friends. And they're usually trainers because they're cool with it. But like the amount of content that's been good, I've ditched because I thought maybe I was like, ooh, the angle of the camera kind of put like a little too like maybe butt cheeky or something. And I just delete it. Mm -hmm. I go, we're not, I'm not, I'm not getting it that way. I also, I think it's a terrible way to like ruin relationships with people. It's yeah. like, hey, dude, why'd you use that crotch shot of me? I'm like, sorry. Hey, could you be in a video for me? You have a really nice booty. Well, but, that was, <laughs> but that was my thing. Too. But then also, I also tried to, for me, 
I actually technically prefer actually using a lot of guides. I try to split it up a little bit, guide to female. Like I'm very intentional with my content. Like I purposely will pick males and females that are kind of the avatar or the the hologram of what people want to see themselves as. So I'll use my buddy Bert. My my buddy Bert's a massive stud athlete. Is he the is he the trainer at Lifetime? Yeah, yeah. He's I've, I've seen pictures of him. He's, he's a handsome big. guy. He's a good friend of mine. And he's got great physique. So for him being a good friend of mine, I have no problem, you know, soliciting him. Bert, come on over. <laughs> but he uh but he's also again, if you're if you're an athlete and you see somebody athletic, it's a it's an easy association to make. But anyways, it, th- that was one thing I didn't want to do is like exploit like the sexual size of things because I was like, I just it's a bad reputation, don't want to do it. So that was my, that was my non-negotiable. But here's what I figured out. Okay, my problem was I'm making content that's too niche, not enough people care about. People who care about it tend to be more therapists like myself, but it's actually not building me more clients. Shit. So now I need a broader band. So what I started doing is, okay, realizing I need to get outside of niche. So I go, okay, what do I do? That's It can't be so far out that it doesn't make sense. So what I realized is I made videos that are very satisfying because what I like to watch are food videos. And what I like about it, the, the lighting, the music, the sounds of like the ASMR stuff and even the visualization of how they do it, it's always simple. Like very simple, it's not crazy edits always, it's very simple. Um, I did do some timing with edits, but uh, it's very satisfying. So I go, what kind of satisfying video could I make? And so I figured out some of this like anatomy-based stuff, which was like more broader based because people liked it. Everyone that I've made that has really popped has never taken me that long. The ones I've spent so much time editing, takes the longest. Mm-hmm. I also realized this, something I learned from, from Ryan here, jump cuts. Uh, having something that kind of makes people blink. So within the first, my, my sweet spot was creating videos that were about 14 seconds, I realized. I just looked at the metrics. Roughly 14 seconds, satisfying videos, so I would adjust speed up and down, uh, mostly a little faster so people wouldn't click off it. And I would do a jump cut within the first four seconds. So I would find the right timing of sharing stuff because I needed that jump cut, mm-hmm. but it had to make sense so that people would, would kind of stay with it a little bit. The other thing I took advice from was my son who goes, dad, uh, you're talking too much on the videos and nobody gives a shit. He didn't say shit, but he's like, nobody cares. Yeah. And he's, he's 13. So he's, he's a good like person to tap in and be like, well, would you watch this? And so before I knew what TikTok was, I let him do a TikTok and he's got a, He actually has a pretty big following on TikTok, and I don't think he does anymore, but he's he's pretty good at edits too. Like some of the videos that I've done, he's done all the edits. I hate editing. Mm-hmm. You know how hard it is. I hate editing too, and it's my profession to do. Yeah. <laughs> so I use, I use uh, he turned me on to CapCut. Yep. And I think that's the other thing I think is really important is vertical video. Holy shit. So really making videos that are vertical videos, so up and down with your phone. Uh, a jump cut within a few seconds, shorter, 14 seconds, and hit that sweet spot of sound, and boom. Uh, I had a few videos that just really blew up. And the ones that blew up, it was it was funny. To, there were a lot of anatomy-based ones that just they were very visually stimulating, uh, really get massive. Even now, I'm like, now I have, have it down to where I can tell you if I make a video. I'm like, this will or will not get 10,000. I've almost always been right. Sure. I think it's so powerful though, because you really, it sounds like you, you identified Instagram was what you wanted to grow 
and you made a plan to like, I'm going to post however many times a week, you know, whatever, it, like whatever your schedule is and you just did it. You know, it's funny. And even now I don't, I don't even think the content schedule right now at the time of filming, this is the biggest thing I think make good shareable content. Now I would say it does seem to help a little bit with a little schedule, like some consistency, but I think I would rather have non-consistent good content that's quality that they deem to be quality than just consistency. Now, if you can do both, that's that's next level. Sure, sure. So where, where are you at now with your Instagram following? You're like over 50,000 followers now. Yeah. So in one month, you went from <laughs> and like gonna, less than 5,000. And, and it goes up and down to a little bit because when you get such a massive follow, when you get 50,000 plus in, under a month, I actually screenshotted uh, when it was at its real peak just so I could save the data. Um, you will, this again, you can't look at the vanity metrics. You will lose a hundred to it'll sway two three hundred like or you know followers all the time because a lot of these like it blew up in like Spanish speaking countries and like Arabic countries. So there's people who now they may like that video, but they're they see me do like some massage thing. They're like, "Fuck is this?" and they don't want anything to do with it. Sure. So you're still gonna lose followers at the top end, but right now it's at fifty six point seven. Thousand. Thousand. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. When I think, I know I, I did a similar thing. So in January, I made a dedication. I'm like, for the next six months, I'm going to really focus on vertical video because I wasn't at the time and I just wanted to lean into it. So I hired a company that did nothing but vertical video. They add captions, they do it all. So what I did was I would sit down for an hour in a month mm-hmm. and record 20 to 30 short form videos Yeah. and just send it to the editing team and they post it and it's good to go. So after that, I started like 1,700 followers what I had. And then after I had two really viral videos go, one has like almost 300,000 views. And it's like how I do short form editing and reformatting for things. Mm-hmm. It's like a premier hack that people can do in, in an editing software. I had so many like I influx. Like it, I couldn't even look at my phone. I'd turn my notifications off for like a day because it was like followers going crazy, comments mm-hmm. going crazy. I think it ended up, like I said, 300,000 follow- 300, views on the video and I have now 7,800 followers. So it's like 7X what it was before. So I can only imagine like going from yeah. 5,000 to 50,000. Like your phone is probably blowing up. Yeah, I like to have my notifications off. But you check your Instagram and it would be, I mean, it would literally go from, I remember it was like, damn, this thing's kind of, this is weird because once it got over 10,000, I was like, oh shit, like it'll probably die off. And then you'd check your phone, it would go like 15, 20. 25, 30, and it just kept like massively. I actually turned the comments off because then it turned into this because it's, it's a video of a hit video. And uh, it turned into like a damn near religious war of like atheists and religious people. And I was like, I can't have this. And yeah. I just turned the comments off. I was like, it's too much for me to monitor. Sure, sure. But, but yeah, I think, um, I think of people sometimes you have to think about getting outside of the niche a little bit just so. Instagram will reward you to a broader base at times. And maybe you care, maybe you don't, but I mean, I don't know. It's again, like living in Iowa, I want omnipresence because I don't like my opportunities being limited by my location. I also don't want to move out of Iowa. So the more people who can know what I do and meet more people, like it just to me is, it just makes sense to me. I love that. Yeah. It's, that's so good. So you get all these followers and stuff. How how are you monetizing these people? Because all 50,000 of them can't come show up at your office in yeah. Urbandale and be like, can I get a massage? That's the thing is like some of this is vanity metrics. Like people won't spend money with me just because you – I mean that's – most of the people won't spend a dime with me, which is which is fine. 
So now it's like, do I want to go B to B or B to C? Do I want, you know, I have a course that I, that I work on. Oh, thank you. So I can monetize that a little bit. Right now I'm actually going back a little bit and getting back in the groove of just making consistent content because I did get into a little rut of when something really blows up going, why would I make content that's anything but this from now on? The problem with that is you got to be yourself. Like I stopped, I really got too obsessive with it for a minute and I had to realize this shit doesn't matter. Um, I mean, not to say it doesn't, but I had to get in that mind frame of not overvaluing it too. You know, thinking I must be on brand with me. It's like, I really don't. I need to be just be me. <laughs> at the end of the day, like that's where I win is just being me at my highest level. And so now I get back into like, listen, I don't care if I lose 6,000 followers, 7,000 followers. Um, I can, I've done it once. I can do it again. Sure. But now I do want to figure out how to monetize it, you know? And so my, I'm actually kind of reversing a little bit. I have a course. I've just, it was, I, I had a course or I'd have a course. And so it went well. And it's for massage, massage therapists. therapists. Yep. Yeah. It, there is a, and again, like I guess so, well, the, the thing is when things blow up a little bit, I was getting massive questions from massage therapists online. Like most of my inbox was all like chiropractor, physical therapy, manual therapy. I say manual therapist because it encompasses a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Ask me a ton of questions. Yeah. And so I thought, well, shit, why don't I just make something? I like making content. We should just make a content that's, that's for these guys. And I've done it, but then it's kind of, you just got to find the sweet spot there. I'm actually really intrigued about going back and really pumping up maybe the YouTube channel, get the free content, get the attraction built up, and then figuring out how I want to monetize um, that again. And so that's the other thing, too, is like, what's my sweet spot? Like right now, I actually closed off. I had a membership. It's like 10 bucks a month. I'm like, what a deal. I closed it. People are in it still, but nobody new can come in because I need to make sure it's great quality. I need to make sure I'm keeping my promise to people, which is you're going to have some good shit. So part of the problem is, you know, I created content and it, it looks good. So then when I shoot after that, it doesn't look good. <laughs> right. Right. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. So now it's like I, I, I hate seeing that quality dip. Mm-hmm. So now I'm kind of going back into it going, okay, we need to, we need to be more intentional with our, quali- our, our, our quality, but also the content. Like one thing we did that helped is like uh, building stuff on Trello. Mm-hmm. I'm terribly disorganized. It is very stress-relieving to have ideas on a board and you can kind of act upon them however you want, but just to have them out of your head Mm -hmm. is a massive stress relief. So now I'm going back to throwing ideas on the board. I'll throw some of it in the community. And if it's really like, Oh my God, this shit's so next level. I can either resell it as a package, which I'd rather do because this never ending content creation too is like, it's also a lot. Mm -hmm. You know, when I have, People I have to care for and work on be like, oh, shit, I owe it to our community to do four videos this month. It's just a lot. Yep. And so that's where I like the idea of probably getting back into maybe even bringing extra value to people and finding ways to even do it in a CEU so they can get credit for it too. Sure. So that's kind of where I'm at now is, is reorganizing the content and then also going like, let's also make sure our free content's better than people's paid content. And right now I don't have as much free. And I'm like, well, let's make sure we go back there and, and do that. Because at the end of the game – I think content is a long-term investment, you know, and it's like you never know what piece could really hit for you and change your life and introduce you to people you wouldn't have been introduced to before. I like that surprise, and it's worked out like that for me before. Like, I've had content that has literally got me flown out to places, you know, and I never thought it would. And so that's where I think there's a massive value again, but that's one out of, I mean, so many videos you're going to have that go like that. 
but you have to realize those what you consider junk videos or they're non they're non monetizing videos. You have to have those ten to get to that one to get to the one gold one. Mm-hmm. Like you can't just get only gold. It doesn't. I wish it worked like that. It just doesn't. Sure. Well, and even like with my one little dinky, I call it dinky uh, viral video. I had three hundred thousand followers. I had probably ten interested leads that wanted to do because the video my my video that popped off thankfully was one that was talking about how I do my riffing sessions. I'll do, like I said, I sit down and shoot 30 videos in one hour, which is kind of next level for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Explain the whole process. I talk about how I edit it. I did the whole video in less than 60 seconds, like explaining it just like super sped up and everyone's like, can you do it for my business? So I'm like, where are you located? Boston. I'm like, sure, we can fly out. We can do it this way. There's one, one, or, one or two that got really serious. And then I had like conversations with three or four people that – ended up in doing like 40 or 50 or $60,000 retainers over the course of a year. And it's like, this, this is what the power of social media, because yes, 300,000 people saw it, but three people were willing to have yes. a conversation about giving 40, 50, $60,000 for a video package. It's like, that's the conversion where in your case, it's like, okay, you had a couple million views, but it's like, can we get a couple people in the mastermind? Can we get a couple people to buy the course? Can I get some local clients that I can work on for, you know, X amount per hour. It's like, that's the the value there. But also mm-hmm. on the YouTube side, it's like, you know, you could get monetized views and stuff like that. Like I know we've talked about YouTube a lot over, over drinks and, and dinner and stuff like that. It's like, how do we monetize YouTube? Cause I'm, I mean, I have 15,000 followers on YouTube, which is pretty small in comparison to most people. That's all, I also think that's pretty good because I think it's harder to get a YouTube following than, than other platforms. Yeah. If if people subscribe on YouTube, they are much more willing to like 100%. go deep with you, pay you money, get, get on your Patreon, buy your products, buy an affiliate link, whatever. Like They're raving fans more so. Yes. Where yeah. it's like TikTok, I, I could tell you how many videos that I laughed, got a lot of value from a video on my feed and just kept swiping. I'm not going to go follow that person. Right. There's, there's plenty of times where I've watched like almost Friday and there's a really viral, they have a podcast and a comedy channel. They make really, it's like podcasts where they, they'll say like, okay, you're a barber and your name's Jimmy two, two hands. And you're trying to cut my hair. And then they like role play it. Yeah. I've seen those videos hundreds of times, but I never follow the guys. But then my friends were talking about it and I'm like, well, I should probably follow them. It's one of those things where mm-hmm. on YouTube, if I go and I search, how to edit videos better in Adobe Premiere and I watch a video of mine for 30 minutes, I'm going to subscribe because I'm like, this dude's got some value and I want more of that. If I have a problem, I want to find that person and, and trust him with that. Who's somebody on on social that you – like? because I always – like instead of recreating the, the wheel, I look at pe- a few like people as kind of like my like mentor <laughs> and go, I just like the way they do it. Who's somebody you look at on social that you think crushes it and you kind of – mimic or at least like look at their stuff and consider does anybody really jump out sure tons of people i would say in my niche one that jumps is peter mckinnon he's a youtuber i can send you a link later but he got his his huge early thing was he made a couple videos that went super bonkers viral and he got really big in the photo and video space but what he did was he merged vlogging which is like casey neisat style with just super high value production and then him just like to your point, being one hundred percent himself. So he's covering tattoos. He's got long hair. He cusses. He's from Canada. He like flips coins. He was a magician before he became like a photographer or whatever. Mm-hmm. Now he was shooting like the documentary for um, Blink One Eighty Two re rebanded. Like uh, I fucking love Blink One Eighty Two. I'm thirty eight, dude. Blink One Eighty Two is all time. Go yeah. Ahead. So <laughs> he has. I think it's like ten million followers on YouTube. And he got like 
Blink-182 saw it and they're like, dude, can you come shoot a documentary of our tour? So him and his whole crew went. They've gone to like Iceland. They've gone to like Hawaii, Tahiti, wherever. So he he makes commercial projects and he'll have a team follow him around, document everything. And then he has like, I mean, he's making like forty or $50,000 a month from just YouTube AdSense. Wow. So it's like, he's a really great case study of like, just being 100% yourself and unapologetically yourself. But it's like, he drives an old bus, busted up Ford. You got tattoos. Like he just does himself. Here's why I think it's important to be you because it's also a stress reliever. If you meet me in person and it's not congruent with who you see online, to me, that's a reputation killer. If I'm just, it is who, like, I am who I am regardless of the situation. Now, again, I, you always want to self-improve. I get it. But in general, it's not some big, massive jump. I don't have to worry. But I think where people can get in real stressful situations is if you completely alter ego, your reality, versus your social reality. And then you have to, like, look around and worry. Like, what if somebody sees me? Like, let's say maybe you you proclaim to be, like, let's say you don't drink alcohol. And that you're making big, big like, proclamations about alcohol and how bad it is for you, you always will have to look around going, oh, shit, did somebody see me? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it's what like – a way to live too. And it's you, not you, a way to live. It's, yeah. it's too stressful. It's like I can only manage – I can barely manage one life, let alone two. <laughs> so that's right. why I think just from a, a, a point is like, yeah, just just be you. Like that's – you know what's funny too is I really tried to fix certain things about me that I hated that like – you know, I blink a lot. I clear my throat a lot. My, it's a, actually a hereditary trait in my family. My brothers and uncles, all the men do it. Uh, curse, you know, my grandfather was a massive influence in my life. He cursed so terribly, it rubbed off on me. I wish I didn't, but also I can catch myself that sometimes if I, if I try to, and I am working on a little bit, if I try to stop too much, I lose my train of thought. And then I have to go, I'm sorry, Grant, oh, shit. If I, you know, I have to think what we were talking about. I hate that. It's like I just got to accept certain pieces of it. And again, I got to try to adjust with, with who I'm with. If somebody's really, like maybe conservative or like very like they just it's, it's kind of offensive to them. I do try not to, but sometimes I just I do do my best work when I don't have to think about it. Yeah, and being being yourself is so powerful though because I think that's in a world where people try to conform to do what people want. Mm-hmm. People people are pulled towards authenticity, and that, that's one so of the too. reasons why I want to do this podcast because I'm like, there's so many people, great people like yourselves, that I'm like, people got to know more about Ryan because it's like he is such a cool dude. Where it's like the short form game where you're just like 15 seconds or less. I need like loops. I need people to watch this video four times to get the likes and you blah, blah, blah. You watch these stupid, like fitness influencers. They're like here, we're doing a day in my life of a whatever. And the whole time they're just like not even facing the camera, their butt cheeks are in the video. And it's like, clearly you're just using your ass to get people's attention and it's working, but it's like, okay, they're going to say, okay, girls, this one's a, a whatever workout. Like all of your followers are 95% male. Right. The second you stop showing your butt, they're all going to unfollow you. Like that's your entire value in the world. You it's like you're just you're like you're just so a thing that, that yeah. people are fixated on. And I think that's the truth where it's like people give me shit for putting like my wife and my kid on social media because they're like, yeah, dude, but you're a videographer. You own a video business. Like you should just do that on your social. I'm like. Yeah, but being a dad and a father is like a huge – or a, a dad and a husband is a huge part of who I am. Yeah, if I'm absolutely. out in public, people are going to see me with my kid. It's like, well, I forgot. I don't – like it's part of who I am. You yeah. Know? I was going to show you this. Uh, that's is it a booty video on Instagram? No, it's not. Yeah. <laughs> this, this is a – we'll, we'll blur the screen. This is my search page. I'll, I'll ask. <laughs> no, it's uh, – that's one thing is like uh, when you get into like those realms of like I have 51 – 51.3% female and 48 point whatever 
uh, men, 48.6. I'm actually kind of proud of that because, yes, again, if you have a big following and it's all just based on maybe your looks or something that you're sexualizing, because it's so big on social media, like to sexualize stuff, to not sexualize content and still win, I think is pretty fucking awesome. I have a friend who she does, her name's Jess. Jay Kurt body work. She's, you know, she's a very pretty uh, lady, but she does not sexualize work, in my opinion. And it's crushing it. I think she does, like, I did the math. She's easily got to be doing eight, 10 grand a month in her in her mastermind, doing an awesome job. It's like, no, you, but the reason why I bring that up is because people think that I have to do this to be successful in this kind of attention grabbing thing. It's like, you really don't. You can win on your own terms. You just have to look at the behavior. The algorithms want to reward who you are and figure out your rhythm and test, retest, and adjust. Like, you don't have to do that thing. There's so many dope videos out there that are not sexualized that you can win with. And I hate hate when – like, I actually see sometimes, like, I see people not winning in their industry, and then they start to do that, and it gets better. Well, you're only going to be more likely to do more of that. We're guys, so it's nice. I mean, trust me, this shirt comes off. <laughs> it ain't gonna get more views. <laughs> sure. Well, I think it's just it's interesting because like in this world of like OnlyFans and sexualizing content to make money, like I remember this one girl I saw a TikTok, she was putting like, Yeah, I launched a OnlyFans and now I'm making like five grand a month or four grand a month, whatever. She was acting like her life was made. And I'm like, just go get a full-time job. You don't get to get naked and sell your soul for it. I'm like, I kind of sometimes respect the hustle because <laughs> it's got to, I mean, it's got to be, I mean, put yourself out there like that. I don't know. I have, I have a pretty eclectic friend group. And I have, <laughs> Where is this well, I, going? <laughs> well, I have, I have clients who do OnlyFans. Okay. Okay. And I, and sometimes the ones, the ones I give respect to who actually, when you look at their business plan. They've got they've they have a plan they have a mount and they really like they could teach you stuff on business. I get massive respect for that. The ones I feel, I just kind of go, ah, oh, fuck, girl, like this ain't it. Yeah. When I see that they're doing their thing, it's not working, and they switch and go, well, then I must do this. And it's like you don't. You just need to tweak your algorithm. You just need to tweak what you're doing. Yeah. And make that work, but you don't have to do that. And you can tell like that wasn't the first plan. Yeah. It's like that backup, and I'm like, damn, like. You know, also, I mean, yeah, and I got two kids, so I'm thinking about their futures of, like, what is their future going to be like through time, and how are they going to win this world? And yeah, I don't want it to just solely be one thing, which is just, like, centralized content. Yeah. Well, and I, not to say that I'm bashing on people that do OnlyFans, but... I, I'll, I'm just kidding. I'm fucking you a hard time, but go no, ahead. No, I... I, I to, to your point, like, I've, I've had conversations with people that are doing that, and they think that's the only option, and I'm like... You realize yeah. you could just start a, a legit business like brick and mortar, 100%. online service business. Like you could make six figures a I year and not have to sell your soul because people aren't happy doing this. They think it's the only option. And I'm like, that sucks. There's other things to do. You just yeah, got to get smart absolutely. with it. Learn, learn absolutely. what to do. Well, and that's where it's like, I would love to like have another business because through owning a business, I've learned so much. I would love to jump in another industry and do other stuff because I think it'd be fun to do, you know, just, Yeah. No, absolutely. Wonderful. Um, so, okay, moving on here. Yeah. So you, you have you have the membership site, like the the people that are in there, you've yeah. closed it off. How many people are in there? Is there like hundreds of people, a handful, like 10, 20? How many people? I got two waves. I sold the course first. And so here's what I did. My, my theory is if you spend money with me, I want you to always be happy. You spent money with me. So the people who bought the course on the first wave, 
they're grandfathered into the mastermind for a year. So when I make new content and do this stuff, they also get some of that. That's just like added value for them to be early adopters. Then the $10 group month, gosh, how many do we have in there? I don't know how many I have in there, but I do know this. I have on my uh, my bank account, it says like PayPal or like my Stripe account for uh, uh, Kajabi, which is the platform I use. When it hits like, when I see that residual, like, oh, I'm seeing like four or 500 bucks like trickling here and there. It's it's not massive. I'll tell you that. It's not it's not 100 people. Sure. I don't think. Um, it could be. I, I don't even have that number. When I see like, oh, we're getting four or 500 bucks here and there, like trickling in, then I'm like, okay, this is kind of going good. The big reason why I close is because I want to make sure that we can give people the promise of we're going to crush this and make good content. I don't know for how long mm-hmm. I can make killer content uh, in this industry. It might be forever and I can always open it back up. If I open it up though, I'm raising the price though. I do think price tells a story. You know, when I charged, the reason why I charged my $140 for my day to day is because there's people in town charging 140 And I said, what separates me and them? Um, they work hard. I work hard. They do con ed. I do con ed. I mean, they have experience. I have experience. Like, and there's times I'm like, not to toot my own horn, but like, I got some pretty, I have a pretty decent resume and I've really added to my career. I can do it. And even when it went bad, I remember the real kind of tearjerker moment for me a little bit was my wife goes, I go, maybe oh, I think we, I think we messed up. I should bring it back. Maybe 125. She goes, you can charge less. My wife works, works in tech and she's, she really is. I'm not saying it's because I'm married. She truly is brilliant. Like I think her bosses would, would tell you she's brilliant. Like she's very financially savvy. She's got balls. Like she's very straightforward. Um, she goes, you can charge less, but you will always be charging less than you're worth. And I went, I'm dying on this hill. And Put so, that on a bumper sticker, dude. That's great. <clears throat> yeah. And she just said that one time. And I said, okay. And I said, we're not changing the price. And it, guess what? It worked out just fine. Sure. Um, but going back to the mastermind, that's where I thought, okay, we're at 10 bucks a month. I want to make sure I want to close that window to make sure we can add value to the people who are in there. But also, I do think we we made some pretty kick-ass videos. Like the videos you and I did, like when I look at what's out there, I think we made some good production values. And there's a lot of good lessons in there. And I want to continue to do that. I think it's worth more than 10 bucks a month. Sure. So I'm going to close that window and then either I'll bump it up or I'll sell it as a single course. Sure. But yeah, Well, especially ahead. like the, the mastermind stuff, it's like if you could charge it for 10, you could easily charge 20. If you could charge 20, you could probably do 30. Like the cutoff for Truly. most people is like 50 bucks, like a month that would probably like, and even as a business expense, it's like, the amount of stuff I pay 50 bucks a month for in my yeah. business that I forget about that I even do, it's like that's yeah. part of it too. I actually think 10 was so low that it actually devalues enough that people don't care. Yeah. I think you can have I think you, you can be too low and people don't care. It's like or or it becomes like I'll get to it things. Uh I mean the things I pay more for, I pay attention to. Yeah. So I'd say price makes people pay attention. Yeah. Same thing with education. Like I can put a bunch of free content out on YouTube. Nobody cares. I can put it in a gated course. And then all the people are like, if they pay, they pay attention. That's, that's really what it comes down to is like, if I'm putting money into this, I'm going to definitely like take notes. I'm going to do the whole thing. Or if it's just on YouTube, it's like, there's no value to it because it was free. It's like anybody could look at it. So that's part of it too. Well, and I do stuff like there's gated payments that I pay for. And that's the other thing too. Like these are like, these are write-offs. <laughs> so like, yeah, I have like communities that I'm into on like Substack or wherever it might be that I pay 
in a year or I pay like two, 300 bucks here and there because I want that information. You know, I want, I want access to information so I can, I can justify also like, I, I charge more because I'm constantly in self-education. You know, I'm, I'm following the who's who, you know. No, I love that. So, okay, where can, uh, I guess, final thoughts to kind of yeah, tie it all together. Yeah, it up. What advice would you have for someone that is in the massage therapy world? They're like burnt out. They're working for someone else. What advice would you give somebody that to know the value of the industry and where they can make money? As a massage therapist? As a massage therapist. If someone's listening to this and they're in oh, the stop Oh, uh, stop working for chiropractors most of the time. I, with the caveat, I work for chiropractors and they treat me pretty well. They really, they really like the cost ratio they gave me, I could live off of. I know people who still work for them. Uh, I know therapists who are making over $100,000 a year, who are making $80,000, $90,000 a year. That's, per, that's pretty decent. So you, it's, it is possible. I would say that is an outlier. Most of the time, uh, if you work for a gym, a chiropractor, a massage therapist, they're using you to offset their cost or to – you're an additive to enhance their thing. Not shitting on people, but like it truly is like I watch out for my own a little bit. And as a massage therapist, I would watch out for that if you're not getting – if you, I mean you can't work on seven, eight people a day for $20. You get – you physically – you will be burnt out. It's not enough. People do the math and go, well, that's – you know. $20 times tw- times eight, what's that, 160 bucks? Wow, that's good money. Yeah, but do that every, every day. You can't afford to do it. You have to have enough buffer to pay for your rest. It's a very manual, it's a li- manual labor job. So that'll be my first thing that's that's maybe a little controversial point is stop working for people who are looking at your service as an additive mm-hmm. and nobody's gonna care more about your business than you. Uh, that would be the first thing. Second thing would be spent, like if you can't find a good mentor, spend on the con ed uh, like an average con ed for me is shit $1,500 for the course I paid 2000 for a course so when people are like man $150 seems like a lot it's to me that's crazy uh and I'm happy to pay that because it actually like so I took a course called functional range Sy- functional range systems uh it's done like if I'm being honest, it's done a ton for me. It really has the connections I've made there, there them sharing my stuff on their social media and introducing me to people, uh, having it give me a format. It was massive. I spent probably I spent a lot of money. Like if you had the traveling, I've easily spent ten thousand uh, dollars. I've taken every course they pretty much have. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, invest in your invest in your craft would how I'd sum it up. Invest in yourself, invest in your craft, and then like really never take for granted personal development. I always thought like there's so much time I can just be a junkie and reading it, like just read it and listen to it and you have to apply it. But when I go back to my most successful points, I'm always listening to things or reading things that are highly motivational. Ed Milet, that's my boy. Uh talks real deep. Yeah. All all stuff like that. It really does motivate me on those days of like, oh yeah, this is a purpose driven thing I'm doing. It's not just a job anymore. This is this is something I'm passionate about and and sometimes I have to constantly update that. Love that. Love that. All right, man. Well, I think yeah. we, we could like yeah, talk I forever. Say, we'd probably I, be here forever. I think um, this would be a good, good place to put a pin in it. Where can people find you if, they, if they're looking for a local therapist, but also where can they find you online? Yeah. Easiest thing would be on uh, so, on the social. I just use my name. It's at Ryan Esdor. And Esdor is E-S-D-O-H-R. 
or my website's my, M-Y, superhumanlab.com. Perfect, man. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. I think there's a lot of value people can glean from this, whether it's if they're a therapist, if they're trying to get big on social, if they're trying to monetize a brick and mortar business, I think there's a lot of value that you brought. So thank you so much for being on the show, man. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Well, there you have it, guys. If you're listening and watching the Rhymes with Odd podcast, my name is Ryan Snod. It rhymes with odd, and we'll see you in the next show. Peace.